Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Hey, uh, I'm glad to be here and to uh, be continuing in this series. Uh, We're just really going through the book of Philippians, honestly. We're just walking through it and seeing what does God uh, have to say in this letter that was uh, written by a man named Paul. And so we're just in this series and... You know, a lot of times when you do something like this, you have like an end date. We don't know when we're ending, so um, we're just going to keep going through it. But I want to just give you all a second right here to uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2 if you want to. If you have the High Street app, if you click on Sermon Notes, you can find uh, the, the, these, the scripture we're going through tonight is listed there. Also, it'll be on the screens. And if you're like me and you like just having the good old-fashioned... You know what I'm saying? Just a good old-fashioned Bible. I think it'll be in there too. So we're gonna we're gonna do this thing tonight. So it's gonna be good. So we're in Philippians chapter two. So we knocked out chapter one over the last couple of weeks, and we established that Philippians is a letter written by one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time, uh, by a guy named uh, guy named Paul. I already mentioned that, and so he was writing to a group of people who were believers in a town called Philippi. And he was writing to them. Paul was the guy who first took the message of Jesus to these people. And so he's writing to them 10 years later. And he's telling them, like, this is a letter of encouragement. And honestly, what I really feel like it is, the more we sit in it, is it's a letter to us today, uh, for those of us who are Christ followers, and for those of us who are following Jesus, of what it should look like to be a follower of Jesus, and what it should look like to be a believer in the body of Christ. So I have no idea where you're at tonight. Maybe you don't know exactly what it is that you believe in yet. I have no clue. But this is kind of an example of what the church should look like tonight. And uh, here's my main point. Honestly, it's not really a main point. This is something that uh, I told our team before this when we were meeting. I was like, I get on kicks of things. And my, my kick right now is I want you all to fall in love with reading God's word. Can I get an amen on that from somebody? Okay. All right. Up here in the front row, I'll take it. Uh, amens at any time tonight. You just spout them out. I like it. So come on. All right, so, uh, uh, man, I, I seriously, I know I say that I don't know where I was going with that a lot, but now I'm trying to think. Okay, I got it. Yeah, 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 I want you to fall in love with reading God's Word, okay? That's what I want you to do. And uh, I, I just want to tell y'all a resource that I use a lot in preparing uh, to speak is I use this app called Blue Letter Bible, and here's why I love Blue Letter Bible, my Blue Letter Bible people, uh, because in this app it has what's called an interlinear concordance, which basically means up. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the Bible wasn't written in English first. Okay, it's comprised of three different languages. Anyways, we don't need to get into all that. But when you go with like you can go in here and you can use this app and use this to really make sure that you're understanding what does God's word say, and it's just a resource. It's a tool. You don't have to use that, but uh, I forgot to mention that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I heard a professor say this, and uh, I, I love this thought that I heard this week. And it's this, is like we often look at the creation that God has made, like the physical world, and we're like, man, that is amazing. Like we see the beauty of his creation in that. We see his uh, imagination. We see his creativity and what we see with our physical eyes. But also like I, I feel like uh, th- this professor was talking about, like you can see the beauty 
of God in the scripture, right? And the way that the Bible is written and the way that it's simple enough parts of it that you can understand that as a child, but it's also complex enough that you can study it your whole life. And so that's my kick that I'm on is I'm passionate and I want you to fall in love with reading scripture because you can stand, you can sit there and listen to someone speak about it all day long. But what you need to do is engage in a spiritual discipline of getting in God's word on your own time. And so um, anyways, we're going to kick it off Philippians 2 right here. Let's read through this together. And I want us to really sit in this passage. We're in verse 1 through 11. And I want to like take this slow. I'm not trying to like really be super engaging in this part because I want us to read what this passage is so that then we can break it down. And remember, this is Paul writing from prison. It's Paul writing from prison to these people he cares about so deeply because Paul is the one who helped plant this church in the first place. So he's writing to a letter to these believers. And so it says this in verse one, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Continuing on in verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can someone get that kid? and then come back to be quiet. I'm just kidding, that's my daughter, so I can say that. So, Some of y'all were like, dang, that, this guy? Man, he definitely doesn't love Jesus. He's talking like that. I was just joking him, it's fine. I love, I love you, Nova, hi. Okay, all right. She was just, she was trying to get in on the action, you know? She likes to talk, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways, we're in Philippians 2 here, and I wanna take us back to the, to the first verse here, the first two verses as we start to look at this um, passage. And I wanna kind of start to break this down and apply what does this even mean to us in 2019? Maybe you're in here and you're going through something and you're like, uh, I'm just looking for a, uh, like a glimmer of hope. I need something. What, like, what am I even gonna do with that? And so uh, it, as we go through and we look at verse 2, this is what Paul says. And notice these four things. He says, so if, there, and he's saying so if, he's saying this is like a form of argument and is saying that these are things that are true. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any persuasive message in who God is and who Christ is, if there is any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord with one mind. And so he says, like, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if the compelling, if the, if the message of Jesus is compelling, like, if that's the case, number one, like, that should mean something to us. Number two, he says, if there is any comfort in this love, and this word love, we talked about it in a couple of messages ago, he's talking about agape love, which is this love that is not based on feeling, 
It is not based on emotion that Jesus willfully went to the cross on your and I's behalf. That that is the love that he showed us. So if there's any comfort from this love, if there's any um, participation in the spirit, what scripture is very clear about is that when you become a believer, maybe, you, maybe you've heard someone say like, talk about the Holy Spirit. And you're like, what exactly does that mean? What that really means is that uh, Jesus, like when, when he died for us and when we accept him as our savior, that when we enter into a relationship with him, that actually part of God then dwells inside of us and guides us in our lives. And so what's cool about that is that myself as a believer and with other believers, like I'm unified, like we participate in the Holy Spirit with one another. So that's pretty, that, 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 like should, that, that should mean something to us. What's the next thing that he says? He says that there's any affection and sympathy. And if you're like me, when I first read this, I was like, I don't quite get how that goes there, like affection and sympathy. But this is coming back to what I was talking about uh, earlier. Sometimes you have to break down scripture. And when, when I was looking at this, like, so the word affection here, what, 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 when you really trace it back to the Greek and what Paul was talking about here is that this word for affection was really talking like about something that's rooted deep inside of you, like within your bowels, right? Not like irritable bowel syndrome, right? But like thinking deep inside of you. Some of y'all are like, I got that. Like, okay, can relate. I hope not, man. We're too young for that, right? Uh, no IBS up in her. So um, he's really talking about, um, he's, he's talking about like within, within our bowels, like um, if you were a Jewish person this time, if you were a Hebrew, right, which Paul had this Jewish background, um, what was popular in their culture was this word for affection was really referring to things of benevolence, things of like this deep sense of kindness, things of these deep sense of uh, affection towards somebody else. Like this was rooted deep inside of you. And same for the word sympathy, that you felt uh, an amount of sympathy and empathy and pity for people. That if you are united in Christ, that deep within you, inside your belly, right, there should be something that wants to show affection and sympathy towards other people. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying if this is true, if this is true, if, if like the message of Christ is compelling, if there is comfort from this love that we receive from Jesus, if we participate in the spirit together, and if we have affection and sympathy deep within our souls, then what should we be? You look at verse two and he says it clearly, is that we should, complete, Paul's like saying, do this, do this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What's he talking about there? He's saying to this early church, be unified. Be unified together on mission together. Have you ever asked yourself, why does everyone, we talk about unity a lot in our society right now. Why do we long for unity? Why do we long to be unified? Isn't it so powerful in those moments where you are unified with somebody else? It is. And it really is rooted in who God created us to be. That when we go back to Genesis, the very beginning of God's word, and he's telling us how he created us, that actually Adam and Eve were unified with one another. And they were also unified with God. That it was this, this awesome picture of the way we are supposed to be united with God. But what happened? Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. 
And basically what they did is that uh, Eve is convinced that she should take of the knowledge of good, uh, the tree of good and evil, and she takes from it. And she listens to Satan, right, and she takes from it. And what that does is she, she goes against what God has asked of Adam and Eve. And then Adam immediately starts the blame game, right, right away. And that's not unity. When there's blame going on, there is not unity going on. And we see that suddenly amongst Adam and Eve, there is a breaking of this unity. And then because there is sin, because God is holy, and because he knows no sin, and that's not what he wants for our lives, that Adam and Eve were then separated from God. That they were separated from God. We refer to this as the fall, right? And so we see this picture of disunity going on here. And the only way that that can be fixed is through God sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. We oftentimes refer to this as like the bridge illustration when we're referring to the gospel. Is that we are sinful people. Scripture tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of glory of God. That we are not unified with God. God is over here because he is holy and he is good and he is perfect. And we are here because we have sin in our lives. And why we have earned is death. But because God didn't, wasn't happy with the fall, that wasn't the end of his plan, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the mistakes that we've made, allowing us to once again be unified with God. That the cross sits in there and is the bridge for us to once again have unity. And I see people searching all the time, and I know you do too, people want to be unified. We have this longing and this sense for unity within our culture that people rally around, honestly, some silly things to be unified with each other. Can I get an amen on that? Y'all have seen some crazy Facebook groups out there that uh, exist, and you're like, why is someone passionate about that? But it feels good to be unified with somebody else. We long for a sense of unity because we were created to be unified with one another, and we were created to be unified with God. And Paul is saying here, hey, listen, if this is true about what Jesus has done, then we need to be in unity with one another. We need to be of one mind, of one thought. And what Paul is consistently preaching in this message, in this letter that he's writing to these people from prison, is he's saying to live is Christ and to die is gain. That everything that we do, if it is about Jesus, we're going to be unified with one another. And I want to say this as a caveat to this point, really, uh, in, in this train of thought, is uh, that, and I can't take credit for this tagline because it's not mine, but unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Did you know that God created us to be different? Did you know that you can go to different churches in Springfield that preach the gospel, that love God and are full of Christ-following people that look different than this body? It's true. God did not create us to all be in one uniform. This is the way it looks. Unity does not look like uniformity in the way that we worship and the way that we do these things. Like uniformity is not the same as unity. Unity comes from when we are when we're rooted in who Christ is. And I think that's an important caveat to note. Um, just when we think about that, because a lot of times it can feel like, well, are we doing different things as Christ followers? But uniformity is not the same as unity. What we need to be unified in is who Christ is. Continuing on, this is going to get a little more practical here. In verse 3 it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
So if we are to be unified, then we have to demonstrate humility in our lives. What does humility look like? It looks like counting others more significant than ourselves. And it looks like doing nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Let me tell you all this. When you were a kid, I remember doing this. Like, I love going to Dairy Queen, all right? Still do at 28, okay? I will take a peanut butter Reese's Blizzard any day of the week. I love it. I love all things peanut butter. And I used to sit there, and, uh, you know, you ever, like, trying to be really good as a kid? And you get out uh, your parents, you're like, I'll do that extra thing. And, and it's like you're trying to, like, win your parents' approval. Or you knew that you were getting ready to ask them something they were going to say no to. Oh, I'm going to ask them if I can go spend the night at that person's house. But before I do that, hey, mom, I'm going to clean my room on my own, okay, is my idea. I just love you guys, and I'm so appreciative of who you are. And you have like this not true heart with what you're doing. You didn't just do that out of love for your parents. You did it for a reward. And so, uh, and, and the way that translates to here is that sometimes it's easy for us, and we mask it a little bit better as adults, is that it's easy to do things with actually a heart that isn't rooted in humility. It's easy to do things with a heart that is not truly, not doing things out of rivalry, out of self-worth, but it's out of love for somebody else. Think about this. Here's the practical application. Think about where you work where you go to school, whatever it is that you do on a regular basis. Do you want to be surrounded by people that are only concerned about themselves? Or do you want to be surrounded by a group of people who are worried about the interests of others? Let me tell you all this. Like, um, it's crazy to listen to some of the things people complain about. If you are a Christ follower and you are a complainer in your workforce, or wherever you work or wherever you go to school, you need to check yourself. Because we were not called to be people that break up unity. We are called to be people of humility that count other people more significant. That means you hold the door open for somebody else. You pick up that piece of trash off the ground. You take somebody, you, you know, you, you do extra minutes of work, extra hours of work when maybe it's not in your job description. That you need to have a joyful attitude. And some of y'all are on the fence about what you believe about God. But wouldn't you like to be involved in a community of people who have this attitude? That as Christ's followers, we are called to count others as more significant than ourselves. And jumping back to our relationship series that we were just in, if you want to have a be the best relationships possible, friendships, romantic relationships, relationships with your parents, stop being so focused on how you feel and start being focused on how the other people feel. And it will change your perspective because that's agape love. That's love that's not based on your own feeling and emotion, but it's a willful act of saying this person matters because God created them. That sometimes we got to get out of our own way and get out of our own train of thought. I can think of moments even today, hours before this, that I was not humble, that I was self-focused. Isn't that easy to do in our culture and in our society is to inward focus on ourselves? Let me tell you all this. I think this is why a lot of you are here is that you're trying to grow spiritually. You want to grow spiritually. And let me explain it to you this way. It's like, you know, when, when you're an infant, scripture describes it like you needed like the, that infancy spiritual milk, right? That's what you needed, but eventually, you start taking in that whole food, right? You start really, um, you, you know, you're following Jesus, and you're learning, and you're growing, and you're in his word. But at some point, you got to start feeding other people. 
Why do we do service here? Like, why do we push people to serve? We push people um, to go to the events that we have and reach out into our community. We ask people all the time to join our team here at Young Adults because this whole thing doesn't just happen by accident. There's people that are intentionally serving, doing what God has created and called them to do, making this environment possible for us to come in and worship God. Because at some point, if you want to continue to grow, you can learn more about Scripture and more about Scripture and more about Scripture. But until you apply it, you're never going to grow as much as you could. So if you're in here and you feel stagnant in your spiritual growth, can I challenge you? Serve more. Get on our team. We make it easy for you to get on the team. Get on our team. Serve more. Pour yourself out. Invest in other people. We live in a society that is very much inward focused. Look at the the mental health crisis that is going on in our society. And I truly believe with all of my heart, I 100% know that that is rooted uh, and that there are people that within the chemical makeup of their brain that that is a challenge for them. It's very uh, a real medical issue. But I also know this is what contributes to that is our inward inward focus as a society, always looking at ourselves and our image and the way we appear, that if we will in humility start focusing on other people, what you will see is you are more unified with other people then. Nowhere should this be truer than in the body of Christ. This is where this should be the most true for us. So where it should be the most true for us. I'm moving on here to, uh, to verse 5. Uh, as it finishes the, the passage here, and really this is the heart of it. I think you could speak multiple, multiple messages about this, but I won't for the sake of time. Uh, in verse 5 it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself out by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father now, as I make my next couple points, I want to ask the band to come back up, um, and, and we're going to start to kind of close this thing out here. But, uh, wow, man, if you would wake up in the morning, and you would read this passage of Scripture here, and what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we have this in our lives? Why would we not pour ourselves out when God sent his son Jesus The Son of God came to earth in human form and lived a very human life for us. Y'all know that, that Jesus, like, he felt pain, that he felt frustration. I talked about this last night with some people, is that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is on his march towards the cross, when he is going to be crucified, He asked the Father to remove that cup from him, that he's so frustrated that he has drops of blood coming from his head. That he didn't do that for himself, he did that for you and for me. And let me tell y'all, maybe you've heard that before and that felt like a very, hey, I get that and I understand that. He did that for you. I want you to think about the moment where you felt at your worst in your life, the biggest mistake you've ever made, the biggest regret you ever had, that Jesus died for you in that moment. He came for you in that moment to rescue you. In humility, this Son of God took on flesh 
and lived a life and was killed in a painful death, an agonizing physical death on the cross, but much more agonizing of a spiritual death on the cross so that you and I could once again be united with God. Man, I want to wake up every morning for the rest of my life, every morning for the rest of my life, thinking about that truth. I want to set my mind on that when I go to work, as I raise my daughter, as I'm married to my wife. I want that truth to just resonate in my heart because I know and I've seen it long enough that people who live this out, that churches who live this out do incredible things. I want to know God intimately in that way. I want to be humble. And that's a fight for me every day. It's a fight for you. Because so much of our lives are all focused on ourselves. But I want you to just think, what if I got outside the box? I think there's two things of response here that we have to consider. And the first thing is this, if this sounds good to you, you're like, I want that in my life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you can't have this unity with God. You will never have this unity with God until in humility you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. And that doesn't just mean like, hey, I'm going to get out of hell free. That this means that it's a relationship and he's the Lord of your life and that you're following after him. But scripture makes it very clear that everyone who calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. It's not complicated. We talk, I talk about ABCs all the time. You have to admit that you're a sinful person. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he was the son of God, that he came to die on a cross for your sins, and you wanna confess him as Lord of your life. It's that simple. Maybe you've never taken a step to be unified with God. I don't know. I want that for you. I want this to be real in your life. The second thing we gotta talk about is who are we gonna be as believers that are in here? What will we be known for? Will we allow gossip and things to just get in our way? That's what Satan wants more than anything. Pettiness, right? He wants us to be petty and to be worried with, consumed with things that don't matter. And I can't believe they said that about such and such. And I can't believe that they did that. We are to be unified in our workplaces, in the places that we go to, in the places that we visit, in the restaurants we eat at, that we should be modeling humility all the time. I'm convinced of this, that we have a big vision here at High Street that we want to see a thousand people saved in three years. That will not happen if we are not unified. It won't happen. It won't happen unless in humility we are asking God to put us in places to have conversations. That's why we're going to a coffee shop on Thursday to hopefully meet people that we've never met before so we can tell them the hope of Jesus, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. What if us as a body of believers right here even would unify together what God would use us to do when we are unified. I've always believed that Springfield could be a launching ground for revival within our nation. Look how many college students and young adults live in our city. That if we are unified and of one mind in pursuing the things of Christ, what could God do within our community? I have no idea. I want to find out. 
It's so powerful that I can look at the people in this room who are my friends, people that I barely even know, people that I want to get to know more. And if I know that they're a believer in Christ, that I'm unified with them and that we are on the same team. It is a powerful thing to go into where I work at and to see other believers there and know that we are unified in the same thought, in the same mind. And if you don't have a place in a community that you belong to that allows you to do that, you need to get involved in one. High Street is not the only place that does that, but as a big C church, the church all across the country, all across the world, that we need to be unified in pursuing the things of Christ. What could God do? I don't know. I want to find out, though. I want to find out. I really do. You know, we're, we're going to finish right here with, uh, we're going to sing two more songs here. And this first song, just a really, honestly, both songs are an opportunity for us to respond. In humility, when we got a million different things going on, in humility, we can respond to God. You know, altars, we call this the altar up here, right? And we say that we have our prayer team stand up here. Really in scripture, what an altar is, is that we see that it's a place where someone can go to consecrate themselves to God. That it's a place where someone can go to acknowledge who God is. It's a place where, it's a thing that people set up to mark moments that God has done in their lives or within their community. That's what we see as the altar is in scripture. And so when we respond here, we will have people standing up here. And maybe you need to mark a moment today that you're going to be unified with God for the first time in your life and you wanna accept Jesus as your savior. Will you please come down and talk to somebody? In an act of humility, what do you have going on in your life? You know, what's crazy is I bet you there's someone in here who I didn't even talk about what you have going on, but you have something stirring in your heart God is stirring something up in you, and in humility, he's calling you to respond. In humility, he's calling you to pray. He's, in humility, he's calling you to pour out worship to him. That's what this time is. It's a precious time. We don't always get these times throughout our week, right? It's powerful to do this as believers. But I want to challenge you. Let's be unified. Let's live lives of humility. Let's pursue Christ over everything else because it's worth it. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.